Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I, I sent out a notice just before uh, the show began to kind of announce this is a show about curing the life's problems uh, with the kingdom pill. Can you can you swallow Jesus Christ? I guess there there were people who got into trouble mocking uh, the faith of a well-known politician. They all have a big laugh over it, but. Uh, there, there's a certain shallow nature to humanity where people disregard anything that is religious. I mean, uh, atheism has become real popular. But the reality is, if there is a God that created the universe, that has, you know, this intelligent design that has moved things into existence, and you as this little puny creature walking around on the face of a gigantic planet in a huge vast universe uh your your comical ridicule of that creator uh probably will not go unnoticed <laughs> so uh the the reality is, is god is not nearly as vindictive as we are with each other that this god of creation has set life in motion and uh created the laws of the universe that are already in play, but the reality is they're in play in you, just like they are in play in the stars we see at night in the heavens. Everything is already set in motion. And there's something we call emotion. And uh, I think that's almost a fascinating word in itself, uh, emotion. What is emotion? How how would you define emotion? Well, we'll we'll worry about that later. There's a number of people over the centuries who have listed off different kinds of emotions, and uh, Aristotle uh, was among them. In his uh, book two of Rhetoric, he talks about emotions and he lists off anger and friendship and fear and shame and kindness and pity and indignation. Also, envy and love, but these emotions that he's talking about, these are categories that he has listed off in order to talk about something that is rather abstract. I mean, anger, the idea of anger is an abstract idea. I mean, what's anger? Uh, and are there different kinds of angers? Uh, you know, he defines it kind of as the opposite of calmness. <laughs> so, if you're angry, you're not calm. But, I've seen people all excited and happy and, and thrilled, and they weren't calm either. So it's it's not really the antithesis of calmness. Anger is equated. Uh, other people have lists of uh, emotions. Uh, Darwin has a list of emotions. He doesn't include anger in his list of emotions, except as hatred. He has hatred and anger kind of combined together. Well. I'll admit that Aristotle's references to things like anger being the opposite of calmness has a little bit to do with the semantics of Greek and what those words actually mean. We 
we look at those words and mean, you know, anger is like violent, angry, getting back at somebody. Vengeance is uh, incorporated into the idea of anger. All these emotions, you can also find the evidence of them or trails of their meanings in vices and virtues. Uh, that uh, vices will bring things like anger. Anger is a vice. To me, anger and fear are the same thing in the categories that I, I often look at these things. But they are different aspects of the same thing. Anger is the fight response. Fear and fleeing uh, is the other antithesis, the other end, the other side, the flip side of that same coin. And fear and anger are both antithesis, not necessarily opposites, uh, but an antithesis expression of what you would call calmness or uh, love. Because love is, in Aristotle's categories, he has anger and he has love. I didn't mention envy and love, but they are also part of this uh, list of emotions, which he has about eight of them that he, he talks about. Now he has he categorized anger and fear as and as two different expressions of a of emotions, but then he also categorizes love and envy and shame and kindness. Well, kindness and love they're they're very similar. You can't have love without kindness and shame. Isn't that really just a form of fear? It's not a fear of somebody external necessarily, although it's incorporated into that. Uh, shame is uh, the opposite, he says, of confidence. How one feels about uh, bad actions and thoughts of the past. And, and you have this shame. And of course you have people that are shameless. They don't, they don't feel any shame. They kill somebody and they don't even feel any shame. They're, we call them sociopaths. And, you know, there's actually, we just had an alert where there's somebody moving from Washington, headed from Washington south towards California, and they have just committed an atrocious crime of cutting the head off of their girlfriend. We have another girl who's missing up in uh, the town north of us, which is about 100 miles away, and uh, they they can't find her anywhere, and her boyfriend supposedly has done away with her. And you wonder, what in the world? How are these people getting in relationships with people that are so violent, so abusive, so murderous? And this is their boyfriend. This is their live-in companion. And they murder them. Why Why couldn't they see that coming? I'll lay you odds that a lot of the friends of that in, those individuals knew that person's a bad egg. But they don't see it. They're, they're, they're drawn into this like the, the moth to the flames. How much real control do they have over their lives to be involved with these kinds of relationships? What's driving the people to do the things that they do? You know, one of the big things with atheists is they, they want to blame all the bad things that happen in the world on God. Like, what, how come God allows war and murder and, and mayhem and all these kinds of things? Almost every atheist I know is a socialist. They go hand in hand. And a socialist, by his very nature, wants to take a bite out of his neighbor. He doesn't care about his neighbor. 
as much as he cares about himself. He wants to take, now they originally, the socialists will justify this emotion, this thing that puts their, them in motion, and they justify it because they say, well, we don't want to take away from the poor, we only want to take away from the rich. <laughs> the people that are the filthy rich, you know, the, uh, uncaring rich. And of course, before you know it, all the rich are uncaring. And they hate the rich. And they despise the rich. And they, they don't even know the rich. They just put them in a category. And they want to take away from them. The one percenters. You know, and they label them. But that, that, those feelings, those, those things, those emotions are including things like anger. And, uh, and they, they are shameless with the idea that they want to take away from others so that they can have more. And of course, we know that the ones they really take away from is the middle class. The hard-working middle class. They don't really take away from the rich. You know, we've talked about that before, how they they come up with a new tax plan that's going to take away from the rich. And uh, they implement it, and uh, supposedly bring in all this revenue because they implement it. But on, you know, two, three years down the road, and they examine, they realize that, oh, well, wait a minute. The rich actually paid less taxes after we implemented this. <laughs> Why? Because they saw it coming and they got good lawyers and accountants and they reorganized their wealth so that they paid less taxes. And But the people who were in the middle, they're the ones who really get chewed up by these things. Because what's the motivation? What's the emotion that is moving them to do these things? And of course, we have to go down the list you know, being angry at the rich is also including envy, jealousy. You feel pain when people have something that you wish and you don't have it. I mean, that, that is, you, you're, divest, you can't be happy for the fact that they, you know, I, I remember there was an old movie, uh, I know where I'm going. And these people got on a bus with a bunch of Scotsmen. And they were talking about the rich man of Caloran. He uh, was building a pool to uh, uh, swim in. And and they thought this was funny. He's building a pool to swim in when he has the whole sea to swim in. You know, and uh, the star of the, the story uh, says, you know, trying to clarify to this girl that's with him that who doesn't understand the Scottish ways, is that uh, uh, still money spent is money earned. And then he says, and then all the men go, ah, yes, 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 they all approve of that. Even though they think it's kind of silly to build the pool, his brother-in-law is making a lot of money building the pool. (laughs) And this is enriching his family. And so it's not envy. They just, they can't figure out the rich man of Caloran. And uh, they talk about him having all this fancy fishing tackle, but he can't catch any fish. And uh, they said, ah, yes, but the fish don't know him. And uh, they, you know, they're not maliciously looking down on the rich man. They just don't understand him. And, of course, he doesn't understand them. And they have a whole different way of looking at things. And they're in their own world. They're out there um, dealing with their issues, their life. But they're, they're a group interacting with each other. 
They're not isolated individuals. While the rich man of Caloran has people working for him, he's really kind of an isolated individual. He doesn't have the love for one another, the camaraderie and the and the kindness. These all these men were out on an expedition to help one of their own who was having trouble with uh, foxes stealing his lambs. And so they were going to go out there and help him so that this didn't just keep happening and get the culprit. That goes back to the second thing in the list of Aristotle's uh, list of emotions, which is friendship. Which, of course, friendship is overlapping with love. It's devoid of envy and it is full of kindness. So love, kindness, friendship... They're all in the same category, yet he's got them as different categories of emotions. But they're really not all that different. So everything is kind of overlapping, and that's kind of like it is in your body. You know, if if you have different things going on in your body and in your spirit, they're overlapping. They're influencing other aspects that are going on in your body. If you're angry... If you're afraid, which again, I'm saying is actually the same emotion, but different aspects of the same emotion. You can't, if anger and fear both require judgment, judgment of others, which involves that envy, which is down there on the list. It also involves, um, it can involve parts of shame. But this anger and fear are actually the same thing, and that is judgment. Now, there's no place in his list for this thing we call trust. You might find it uh, under uh, friendship listed because now you can go into other lists of these different emotions and they put trust. I mean, modern psychologists have fear and anger right up at the top. You know, fear is a feeling of being afraid and anger is a feeling angry, a strong Word for anger is rage, which is just an expanding on this idea of anger. Beneath that, the psychologist adds sadness, a feeling of being sad. Well, feeling of being sad is a little bit like fear and even anger. They they have they seem to almost overlap a little bit, but their manifestation is sadness, which is hopeless anger. <laughs> Or hopeless fear. Sad is you can't do anything about the fact that you're afraid or angry. And we're using fear and anger in a very low sense. But but beneath that, they have another thing in the list called joy. Joy is not feeling sad. Now, those two are almost antithesis of each other. You can't feel sad and joy necessarily at the same time. Uh, at least about the same thing. And so they they're kind of opposites of each other. Well, if you're... If you're full of joy, can you be angry and af- and afraid at the same time? That those seem to be the other ends of spe- spectrums. That joy, you can't be frightened and angry. You certainly could be sad, fearful, and angry, but you can't have joy. Joy is this other thing, and again, they define it as feeling happy. But then there's another thing: disgust, feeling something is wrong or nasty. Now, you could put disgust over there with fear and even angry. You know, you find, you know, you see, see sewage being dumped into the river by uh, some rich uh, company. 
and you, you that you find that disgusting. But uh, that also involves fear and anger. Fear and anger can come up out of that feeling of disgust. So that those are connected. You're certainly not going to feel joy. But then they have surprise, being unprepared for something. Well, anger, fear, those are things associated with surprise. Yet they put that as a separate category of emotions. Yep, that's certainly overlapping things like fear and anger. And then they have this trust. They don't include friendship like Aristotle. They just have this trust, a positive emotion. Admiration is stronger. Acceptance is weaker. In other words, you uh, this feeling of trust gives you a feeling of stability, not helplessness, uh, a feeling of caring. They don't even include, in the modern list of emotions, they don't even include love. They have joy, but they don't include love. So, how is it that you have these lists of emotions, one from Aristotle thousands of years ago, and another one from modern psychologists, that don't even include those things? Now, I'm not saying they're not included somewhere, but in this one professionally presented list of emotions, They have fear, anger, sadness, joy, disgust, surprise, trust, and the last one, anticipation. And the sense of looking forward positively to something which is going to happen. And they actually include that as an anticipation, that as a, which would, anticipation and surprise might be opposites of each other. So I just find it fascinating that they create these you know, it tells you something about the people who create these lists of what they call emotions. I mean, obviously, fear and anger show up in both lists. But uh, disgust, you could associate with uh, shame. Although disgust is not shame about yourself. It's usually disgust about somebody else or something else that somebody else is doing. Shame has more about introspection of yourself you know the opposite of confidence which is in the other list trust which is the positive emotion Uh, so you can see that by making these lists it tells you something about the person who is making the list I'll give you another list of emotions there's a book uh, written by Darwin called The Expression of the Emotions. And of course, he's talking about emotions not just in people, but in all vertebrates and animals. His list is is way different. He has hatred instead of anger. Uh, he has joy that's included in his list. He has surprise. There, there really isn't anything in Aristotle's list to be categorized as surprise. But surprises both in the modern list and in Darwin's list, possibly because Darwin has influenced modern science. But if you go down uh, Darwin's list, he has suffering as an emotion. Suffering and weeping. These are actually taken from the uh, the title chapters in his book, The Expression of Emotions. So he has suffering as one emotion. Low spirits as the next. He has joy, but he has reflection, meditation, ill-temper, sulkiness, determination. So, reflection doesn't necessarily just have to be positive. He actually includes ill-temper Ill and sulkiness and determination. Self, 
you know, which goes back up to that list we see in Aristotle, pity. There's pity of others, but there's, and that's the way that Aristotle uses it, but there's also pity for oneself. And in Darwin's, all of his deals are, are much more negative. Suffering, low spirits, uh, reflection that can mean ill temper, hatred and uh, anger, that's another category, disdain, contempt, disgust, guilt, pride, helplessness, all these things are categorized under disdain. And then surprise, astonishment, which he includes fear in, that's where fear shows up for Darwin, under the list of surprise. And then his last is self-attention, which he includes under that shame, shyness, but also modesty and blushing. So, in my opinion, I see elements in Darwin's list of it's about self. It's about, uh, it's very negative. Almost all of his emotions other than uh, joy are negative. Negative emotions. Even surprise uh, brings in astonishment, fear, and horror in his list. So, at least in Aristotle, he seemed to be a little bit more balanced. <laughs> so, he had envy, but he also had love. He had indignation instead of uh, disgust. He had pity, but his def- definition of pity was feeling, not pity of self, but when people feel sorry for other people. And the same way with shame is about your actions, not shame of other people. So it was a, a much more sane approach to these emotions. But where are we going with this? We talk about the emotions of emotions. What is giving you all these emotions? How is this operating? And what does this have to do with the very soul of mankind? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Can we cure life's problems with the kingdom pill by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And how does this actually work? We we just talked a great deal about emotions. People have emotions. Everybody has emotions. You actually find emotions out there in uh, nature amongst the other animals. Uh, certainly... Uh, well, we're in the middle of lambing, and always the first few lambs of the year, especially this year because of the fact most of our firstborn lambs of this year were born to lambs that were lambs last year. They had no experience. They have never had a lamb before, and all of a sudden they have these hormones raging in their body, and the body is changing, and and. They're pushing out a lamb and they don't know what's going on and the lamb is born and they look at it and they start to walk away. They want to get back to the herd. They have an emotion in them to get back to the herd. The herd makes them feel safe. It diminishes the feelings of fear, the uncomfortable feelings of fear. It, it, it increases the feeling of trust. They, they are drawn like salmon up river to go back to the herd because these are range sheep. These aren't 
farm flocks. So they will actually start to leave their lamb, especially if anything comes into the field, and go back to the herd. But then you see something going on. that The sheep, especially if they hear the noise of the lamb, and I imitate that noise when I come into the field sometimes, because maybe the little lamb that was just born, he might have his head up, but he's not actually making any noise, and the mother is starting to walk away, and I will make the noise, like a ventriloquist, and suddenly the ewe turns around and looks back at the lamb. Not because she heard the lamb, but because she heard me. She just heard that noise. And I'm speaking to the lamb. I'm speaking to the ewe. Uh, with the sound of her own lamb's voice. Although it doesn't sound just like her lamb. I'm not that good. And every lamb sounds different. They they begin to know each other. They will hear each other. And so, as then the mother wants to come back because she heard that noise. And it's very important that the mother actually smells the lamb, touches the lamb, and actually licks on the lamb. You know, that if I bring in a lamb and they say, well, how's it doing? I says, well, she isn't licking it yet. <laughs> they know, oh my gosh, she isn't licking it yet. Because when she smells and licks that lamb, what's going on in the sheep? It's actually secreting hormones in the sheep. It's adrenal system located just behind your kidneys. In ancient languages, the word kidney means control, reins of control. And right behind the kidneys is the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands secrete chemicals, we call hormones, into the blood of the sheep, just like they do into your blood. So when people say there's power in the blood, that's what they're talking about. The adrenal glands, the hormones, the hormones are the one of the most powerful chemical substance on the face of the earth. It drives society, goes out into that sheep, and suddenly the mothering instincts of that sheep begin to turn on. And that mother, mothering instincts begins to care about the lamb. If danger's in the field, you know, if you want to get a mother to lamb up, And she's in the barn now, but she's not really paying enough attention to her lamb. Things have not really kicked in. So you want to turn the valve in her adrenal glands to secrete the hormones that are going to make her more attentive to that lamb. Well, it's a temptation sometimes. (laughs) You bring in a dog. You just you just let the dog come in with you and walk by the pen and she sees the motion of that dog, which is a canine, one of the arch enemies of the lamb. And suddenly she is perks up. She awakens that she wants to run back to the herd. But she also has the protective instinct of a mother. Where did that come from? Her brain saw the dog. Her brain signaled into her Dulamala Alamgada <laughs> and send signals all the way down to the adrenal gland through the nervous system. And the adrenal gland secreted hormones that have to do with fear <laughs> and protection. And a sheep is, is not an angry thing. A sheep doesn't attack usually, usually. Although I did get butted yesterday. <laughs> Uh, when I was in there messing around with the lamb and uh, she didn't know what I was doing. I was, you were stripping her out, making sure that the milk was flowing, that the teats weren't clogged. 
uh, so that when the lamb latched on to that, it would get the milk it needed. Well, when you do that, when you pull a little milk out, uh, you actually are causing hormones to be released from those adrenal glands into the blood. Because the power's in the blood. <laughs> so those hormones are going. That turns on things in the sheep that are going to make it more concerned about her lamb. And uh, when I was stepping out, she she didn't butt me hard, but she butted on one of my legs. I could feel that. But, but I knew this particular sheep had come in easily. She had her lamb way out, as far away as possible, because there's brush along the edge of the fence. And so she went over there, was protected from the wind. She wouldn't leave that spot. And uh, actually, I went out there. To, she hadn't had the lamb yet. And I went out there, and I just take a handkerchief out of my pocket, and I throw it on the ground and make the noise. And she comes over to me. But she was already attached to that spot because she had dropped some of her fluid there in the process of giving birth. So she has to return to that spot. So I knew I wasn't going to get her until she had transferred that need to go back to that spot like the salmon up the stream to the lamb born. In other words, once that lamb is born, she smells that on the lamb and now she's attached to the lamb. But just seeing the white handkerchief drop on the ground, never having had a lamb before, she knew that's what she's looking for. A little white object dropped on the ground, (laughs) which is her lamb. And so she would come over. But I knew I didn't have enough attachment yet. So I left her there till she gave birth. And then I brought her in just before dark. I knew it was coming because I watched the way in which she was holding the lamb. So there wasn't much I could do. So I let, but when I went out and picked up that lamb, she followed me all the way across the field, across the road, up the driveway, past the shop, into the, through every gate. She never left my side. She stayed with me the whole time. Uh, She was not running back to the herd. Her instincts were well turned on. She had very high instincts in her. Where are those coming from? It's in the blood. It's the hormones in her blood that are making her express the emotion of caring for her lamb and defending her lamb and being there for her lamb and watching over her lamb. She will stand over that lamb all night watching it. So, all that's because hormones, a whole list of hormones are being secreted into her system and signaling all kinds of parts of her body and uh, making things happen. And all this is just, all of this is these hormones secreted in, directly into the blood. It's not going into a ducting system, going down to a particular deal. It's just released in the blood and notifying everything in the body that we've got something seriously important going on here that causes their attention not to be self-attention, but attention of the lamb, the lamb that they have given birth to. Now, there's a peculiar thing in herd animals, and man is a herd animal, gregarious. They're like, and most vegetarians that I've come across don't really understand this, especially the, the, what do they call them? Violent vegetarians. They're really against anybody eating sheep or cows or any of that stuff. Well, in the herd, the life of the cow is not its own. It belongs to the herd. It, it is a part of the herd. It is reproducing the new herd 
that will replace it when it goes back into the earth. It is learning to give of itself to its lambs or to its uh, calves. David was a herdsman. He was a keeper of flocks. And this was preparation to be a king in the kingdom of God. Not putting yourself first. Saul was a warrior. He he went after the bad guys. But David, and David would protect the sheep. He wasn't going after the bad guys to dominate them or put them down. But he was there to protect others. And he would face danger to protect others. So this was in his blood. This was in his nature. He understood the herd. That you lay down your life for your fellow member of the herd. And cows do this. Sheep do this. You know, when they gather in that big flock, when there's a coyote in the field or a mountain lion or a bobcat, there are sheep to the outside of the herd. And they're all facing out. And they're all watching danger. Now, there's some on the other side of the herd in this big ring. They can't, they can't see the coyote. They're on the other side. And the coyote will go all the way around the herd looking for somebody who's not paying attention. <laughs> not looking out. Not protecting all those ones that are there uh, inside the herd. The ones in the middle, they can't see. Now, they, there's a lot of them have their heads up, but there's lambs in there. But the ones on the outside of the herd, they are willing to sacrifice themselves putting themselves between danger and the rest of the herd. And why are they doing that? Because there's power in the blood. At the sight of the coyote coming into the field, the danger of the coyote coming into the field, the adrenal glands are secreting hormones into the blood of the sheep to put himself on the outside. They're not all... If they were just trying to save their lives, they would be... Everybody would be cramming to the middle. They would be looking in the middle, trying to get into a safer and safer place. But that's not what they do. They face danger. They they look out, but they back into each other. And so they have at least two emotions going on there. There's fear, but there's also uh, trust. They're trusting in one another. The ones on the other side who can't see the coyote are trusting that the ones on the opposite side of the circle are the... I, we used to have a wild Mustang that, you know, we rode it and everything. It was, it, But it originally was born a wild Mustang. And uh, it ran with the sheep a lot. And it, we discovered that when a coyote came in the field, they not only went in that circle, they went into that circle over by the Mustang. And you would actually see the Mustang standing up there with sheep all around it. I mean, you can't put your finger in between them. They're just crammed in around the, the this uh, Mustang. And the Mustang is in the middle of all this with sheep underneath them and everything. <laughs> and he's just standing there, this big black Mustang. And the coyote is circling around the outside. And for a long time, we did not lose sheep to coyotes. Until we had somebody watching the sheep. And then we lost like 20 sheep. <laughs> because they didn't have the spirit that was in that Mustang, I guess. But uh, the Mustang eventually died at about 37 years old. It was, it, it lived for a long time. But uh, it, it knew what was going on. It wasn't afraid of the coyote in any way, shape or form. But it knew that the sheep were coming to it for protection. 
they they included the Mustang in the herd. And so they ran to the Mustang because the Mustang knew they knew it raised the elevation of safety, but also for protection. I've seen the same thing with sheepdogs who would some danger would come into the field, they would not only circle the sheep uh, to protect the sheep, they would also circle my kids who were out there in the field, usually a lot farther away. They would go around them and include them in the herd and check on them as well. Because this herd instinct, the herd instinct does not put yourself first. puts the herd first. It's thinking about something more than itself. God created man and woman, they have children, and that man and woman learn to care about the children more than they care about themselves under a prof, uh, you know, in a perfect world. What does socialism do? Socialism makes you care more about yourself than the rest of the herd. You, you care about what you're going to get and you turn a blind eye to the fact that you may be Injuring the next generation by your self-indulgence. Now, that blind eye, how, how is it that you can't see that? How can you, you not see that every time they raise the debt ceiling, they did not solve the problem, they enhanced the problem in your society. And the problem in your society is uh, the self-attention. You care more about yourself than you do about others. And, of course, that's what's going to bring the suffering and weeping. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Darwin didn't understand that because he didn't understand Christ. You know, Darwin was going to be a priest originally. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he understood Christ. It just meant that, you know, he rejected that idea eventually. But he was going to be a, a priest, a Catholic priest. You can see this progression. And not that Aristotle understood everything either, but... Uh, what do you understand about emotions? And why do you have emotions? And here's the big question. Do your emotions have you? Because the powers in the blood and the emotions are created by the adrenal glands, which are secreting hormones into your body, making you do this, that, and the other thing. Driving you to, you know, like the salmon upstream to reproduce. You know, those guys who have murdered their girlfriends. And we see this with people who murder their wives and their children. And I've talked about this Saul syndrome. We see this with these mass shooters, but not just with them. There was a guy who just recently took, uh, I think, three women captive and or holed up in a house or a room or apartment or something. Anyway, when they finally stormed it, they were all dead. He'd killed all three of them and then killed himself. That's the soul syndrome. It's the self-destruct syndrome. And it's coming about because you're aligning yourselves with a spirit that are causing you to literally secrete hormones that are driving you to kill others and kill yourself. And you are following a pattern. We see this pattern over and over again. The pattern you want to be following is the pattern of Christ. What was the pattern of Christ? He came that others might be saved. He didn't come to save himself. He came that others might be safe. He laid down his life that he might pick up his life more abundant. That's another pattern. When Christ was on the cross, were hormones being secreted in his adrenal glands? 
And then what pattern were they producing? He's up there just nailed to the cross and he's saying, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, I know there are people out there who try to twist the Greek and say he's he's actually saying, forgive them not, for they know what they do. And And you have to twist the Greek in order to do this, because that's not what it says. But why do they want to twist the Greek? It's because of their own indignation, their own actual shame. Because you got indignation and, and, and shame, those are actually connected. But they're being driven to think these ways, interpret the scriptures in a particular way because of what's already in them. And their emotions will justify and they will trust in their new translations, their false translations, their false religion. Because that, because it, it bolsters what they, it protects what they think already. Their ego. They don't want to, they, they are shameless when it comes to the truth. They will deny the truth. We see this amongst your millennials, your liberals today, that people say, it doesn't, they don't care about the truth. And, yeah, they, they don't care about facts. That's not important. Well, why is that not important? Why are facts not important? Because they're defending a position. Where is that position coming from? It's actually coming from a spirit that is dwelling in them. And they have cultivated a place in themselves that they justify that spirit to live in them. And those people who go out and they kill their own family members or they kill their friends or other people that are their age and then they kill themselves. They are following a pattern, a spiritual pattern. And Christ showed us a different pattern, a different way to live, a different way to think, a different way to approach life. And so if you will take the pill that Christ is giving you, to seek that kingdom of God and His righteousness, it will alter the way in which your adrenal glands operate. It will alter the way in which you think in your mind because your mind is altering what your adrenal glands, they're connected to your nervous system. And we'll talk a little bit about that. You have followed the ways of Cain and Kor and Balaam that care more about themselves than they do about others. That they want power and control over others. Even, you know, they want power and control over, you know, the wicked. Now, uh, and they're very justified. You know, if you, if you want power and control, the people who want the death penalty. We want to kill these bad people. What they're doing is that they're wanting to exercise judgment. Over them. They want to play God over them. And, uh, and that makes them susceptible to anger and fear because anger and fear come from judgment. Indignation even. Although that word's not as quite as descriptive because you can be indignant about something because you know it's outside of the parameters of righteousness, but you're not passing that anger or fear judgment upon them. When you play the judge, judge not lest you be judged. Because when you judge, you open yourselves to another pattern. 
Because Christ did not really come to judge us. He he left that. He He came to show us the ways of righteousness. And then the ways of righteousness will bring judgment upon others. You don't have to do it. It's built into the system. It 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 is a power unto itself. So if you want the power and the blood of Christ in you, you have to have the pattern of Christ in you. And the pattern of Christ is not one who's come to judge, but one who comes to serve. And by that self-sacrificing service, you alter the pattern that is in your blood. And you will alter the pattern and the ways of your adrenal glands secreting hormones. Now, the, you know, if we, if we wanted to talk about these adrenal glands and, uh, and how all that, uh, operates, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later, but, uh, in this series that we've been talking about depression and people taking pills in order to, you know, where they're adding a hormone that they think they are missing, spontaneously missing, in their system. You know, why, why is this spontaneous? We talked about this before, but they want to blame it on spontaneous imbalance in, you know, of hormones in your blood. If it's spontaneous, it's not your fault. And you, you don't have to feel helpless because we got a pill you can take that will solve your problem. And so the power is in the pill. I <laughs> see so you just take this pill. But I'm telling you, it's not spontaneous. It's the result of things happening in your body. And we talked about a number of ways in which that we've you can deal with these things. But where's the real answer? That's what we have to look at. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. The uh, pride is like wax in the ears of the soul. If we're not willing to look at things with humility, we are probably not going to see things clearly. We're not going to hear the word. Now, I've talked a lot about different things that can cause uh, problems of depression and fear and anxiety, which can cause depression. That's the thing. These things are have a cycle to them. That if you start feeling depressed, you can fear feeling depressed, which will make you more depressed. And if you have any kind of bipolar tendencies, you can swing between joy and depression. And so what you want is constants. You want stability. You you want to be able to trust in the reality in which you live. When when Noah discovered that the, the world was going to be destroyed by a flood, was that depressing to Noah? Was he depressed about that information? You know, uh, you got the old Bill Cosby skit where he's all upset by all this work that God has given him. And then then uh, suddenly rain starts coming and he realizes, oh, well, I'm with you, Lord, you know, because he is going to be saved. But all these ba- there were a lot of people who were going to be depressed because they were not going to be saved. 
But uh, the reality is that there's a flood coming again, a different kind of flood. A flood of anger and violence and hatred and judgment and disdain and all these bad things. The sociopaths are growing. Hell is emptying out and all the demons will be here. And your defense against that is that your God has to be the God. You know, that was a line of Yul Brenner in the movie Moses. His God is God. So the question is, is your God really the God or is it just uh, the result of imagination and pride and vanity? And the fact is, it's probably overlapping. There's a little bit of both in you. Because you have an image of God in your mind. And you have faith in the image of God in your mind. Believing in God is not believing in the image of God that you've created in your mind or other people have created in your mind. It's actually having that direct relationship with God. And if you're not walking on water, then that relationship of with God is not perfected. And you need to be seeking, that's a, that's a verb, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all things. And if you do, it will improve your health. But you can't do it to improve your health. Because that's outside of the pattern of Christ. The pattern of Christ, he didn't come here to improve his health. He came here so that others might be saved. And there's lots of things to be saved from. We talked about toxoplasma, Gandhi, you know, where parasites can get into your blood and into your mind and actually affect and bring about suicides in people. It certainly does in smaller mammals like the mouse, but it can actually do that. And it's doing it by regulating the chemistry in your body. Different bacterias in your body will signal your body that you need to do this. I mean, one of the big problems in health today are autoimmune diseases, diabetes. All these things have to do with bad signaling in your body. The messages aren't traveling around in your body correctly. And why? It's because there are other patterns that have gotten into your body that are influencing you. Other parasitical spirits have gotten into you. And sometimes actual parasites themselves. But parasitical ideas have gotten into you. So if you're feeling depressed, it's not simply a chemical imbalance. We showed how in Emperor's New Drugs and uh, and people like Dr. Kirsch are showing that you can actually give a person a drug that decreases the serotonin in their body, and it has the same effect as the drug that increases the serotonin in your body. Uh, We had uh, uh, doctors like Jeffrey uh, Lieberman, American Psychiatric Association president, who says that the antidepressants are no, the idea that the antidepressants are no better than the placebo is just plain wrong. And of course, that's not what Dr. Kirsch is saying. Uh, what he's saying is that the placebo effect has a tremendous influence over what comes about when you take these antidepressant medicines. Because you believe in the medicine. Your faith is in the medicine. It will help you. If you give people a, a what they call an active placebo that gives you a symptom, it's not curing the disease. It's still a placebo, but it will give you one of the symptom, symptoms mentioned by the practitioner, you will believe, oh, I'm not getting the placebo, I'm getting the actual drug, and that will incur more faith in the fact that you will get better. It removes the feeling of helplessness. 
And the reality is that feeling of helplessness is a lack of faith. You can do something about this, but you need to attach yourself to a principle bigger than yourself. That's what the cow does. That's what the sheep does. It's not living for itself. It's not way off there somewhere else just wandering around doing its own thing. It is living for the herd. The herd is bigger than itself. This is an important concept. Are you here for others or are you here just for yourself? Are And that's why I was talking to you, showing you these lists of emotions. One made up thousands of years ago and one made up uh, by uh, Darwin and another one made up by modern psychologists. And you definitely see that there's more selfishness in one list, more self-centeredness, more about you in one list. To think about God and the universe and the divine intelligence is thinking about something that is bigger than you, that actually was clever enough, whether you want to believe in evolution or the, the intelligent design influence of a divine creator. The reality is is that you're thinking that this complex system of nervous system and adrenal glands and and uh, endocrines and uh, and the thymus, which is regulating all these different uh, glands in your body and everything, and the, the most complex chemical factory with trillions of cells. And not just, you know, they talk about the nervous system is the spinal column and the brain and everything. But we know there's a secondary brain in the layers of your intestine with the same type of connections, using the same type of chemistry, signaled by the kind of bacteria that's living in your intestines. This is a huge complex event. And every single man, woman, and child going on daily, making these chemicals, sending these signals throughout your body. There is intelligent design. There is something greater than you. And you have to learn to have faith in what it's doing. It's made something that will heal you and make you better. The fact that you're reaching outside of yourself for something to make you better is making that other thing a God. It's putting your faith in that. And it's a, you know, they they even refer to these drugs as Z drugs, which is like zombie. And the, and the present generation is that is coming up the millennials are, are only following the Z generation that came before them, where we become dead to understanding some basic principles of existence and how we relate to the world. In Mark seven fourteen, we see, And when he had called the people unto him and said unto them, Hearken unto me every one of you and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. And if a man have ears to hear, let him hear. And that's why I started with pride is the earwax of the soul. It keeps you from hearing. It keeps you from realizing there is something greater than you. His disciples went and asked him later concerning this parable as to what it meant. He he says, uh, when he's talking about what defiles you, he says, because it entereth not into his heart, but into his belly, 
and goeth out with the drought, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man. For the, for from within, out of the heart of men proceedeth evil thoughts, adulterous fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. If you want your body to work the way it's supposed to work, these things, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, pride, is binding your system to a pattern that is not of Christ. It will bring depression. It will bring illness. And whatever you put in your body to resolve that, that is not repentance, will do you ill. It will it will not do you better. This is where the side effects of not following the ways of Christ come to a society. People think, well, we're going to make the country great again by electing this guy who's going to do great things, great signs and wonders. No. You're going to make... The the country will become great again when you bring something great into your heart. This is not a new idea. You can go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 4.20 My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it. Are the issues of life. Put away from thee. A forward mouth. And perverse lips. Put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. And let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. It is evil to covet your neighbor's goods. Jesus was listing that amongst the foolishness and pride. Remember, let's go back to that list that we see in Mark 7.21 and 22 and 23. Because it's a long list. The man proceedeth evil thoughts. The heart of a man proceed evil thoughts. The heart, what are you looking for? Are you really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you willing to think a different way and let God give you his way of thinking, his way of creation? They talk about adulteries, fornications, and murders. Well, adulteries and fornication, we think of that as just sexual adultery and fornication. Most of the time when they talk about adultery, they're talking about national adultery. And when when we were talking in the study call recently about chastity, chastity of the ministers doesn't mean that they don't get married and that they're celibate. It means that they don't enter into that national adultery where they desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor. They are not willing to have somebody else break in their neighbor's door to collect from their neighbor so that they can have security or more stuff or a balanced budget, which they don't have anyway. 
They don't want to take from others, but also they don't even want to covet what is others. You know, and, and we could break down these words, and I do in other articles, wickedness. What is wickedness? But coveting your neighbor's goods, violating the Ten Commandments, desiring something at the expense of others, by taking away from others. People just don't understand coveting. They think, because you want to have a nice car like your neighbor, that's not coveting your neighbor's goods. That's not coveting. Coveting is when you want your neighbor's car or some of your neighbor's money so that you can have a car and so that you can have more stuff. You want to take away from your neighbor. Whether he's rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You don't have the right to judge. If you think you do, if you set yourself up as God, expect fear and anger. But people can't even see this. They have very little contrast. They don't understand what Christ's life was all about. Was showing you what all these socialist liberals say they care about others. They don't. They care about their own pride, which is in the list here. Deceit. They deceive themselves. Lasciviousness. Wantonness. And evil eye. In other words, they they really don't have you, love of you at heart. And they blaspheme everybody. They put down everybody. That's what you see all the time now. They take uh, people in history and they want to make them all out as bad people. They're not. They have faults, and we don't want to make them all out as good people either. We want to see their faults and see what was good, and take the good and reject the evil. But they want to bring these people all down in history. All our heroes. In um, when my kids were growing up, they look at things like Star Wars, and they had their heroes in Star Wars. And now they say now. You know, Disney is destroying all those heroes. They're making them out as foolish losers. (laughs) So that all your heroes are nobody. You want to bring about depression, just keep that up. (laughs) But it's all foolishness and pride. It's all in the imagination. It's all in the mind. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Why? Because Christ is not really in you. You can't be a socialist and love Christ. You cannot be. And so anyway, we were talking all about the emotions and we're seeing that emotions are in this bloodstream or at least the feeling. We go back to that list. They were talking about anger is the feeling. Uh, Fear is the feeling. Well, the feeling comes about because of the hormones being secreted directly into your blood by the adrenal system, you know, University of Washington explains that the endocrine system, that's where these glands are, secretes hormones and other substances, not just hormones, into the bloodstream directly in order to control behavioral processes such as responses to stress, but also mothering up for a sheep, uh, caring about your own children. But that's the feeling the hormone is producing the feeling. What produced the hormone? What What is creating a pattern in your system? If you feel depressed, that's a red flag that something's wrong. It's not a spontaneous imbalance, chemical imbalance. You're not doing something right. You're not thinking in a right way. You're not pursuing something you should be pursuing. You're not letting in something you should be letting in. And it's going to take that, what that, that thing we found in the list of, uh, 
Darwin had it. He called it self-attention. And he listed it with shame, shyness, modesty, and blushing. <laughs> but in reality, uh, we go back to Aristotle's list and it's, it's love. Uh, and, uh, th- so what, what is that all about? Uh, and, uh, Darwin had in his list reflection, which includes meditation. Uh, but he also includes in that ill temper, sulkiness, and determination. So where are the positives? in these lists and what positives do you want to be a part of and to express in your existence and this is what Christ in his kingdom of love of self-sacrifice of caring about others as much as you care about yourself now you're you're a herd animal you're a gregarious creature of of this realm in which we live you're not to be just isolated it's not right that man be alone and so man is given a woman and a man and woman create children. But it's not right that they even be alone. They have to care about other families as much as they care about themselves. And not just their friends, but even their enemy. You know, I was going to talk about this. In East Africa, there was an approach. And this was mentioned by a guy who had terrible problems with depression. And I don't think he's resolved them, although he's he's taken a look at a lot of them. He's now he's written a book about it, sells the books about it. But he talks about this uh, East African approach. He says, well, he was uh, this African was talking about the the whites who come here and going to help people with their depression. He says, well, they would do this bizarre thing. They didn't take people out in the sunshine where you begin to feel better. They didn't include drumming or music to get the people blood going. They didn't involve the whole community. They didn't externalize the depression as an invasive spirit. Instead, these white psychologists, doctors, whatever, what they did was they took the people into a dingy little room and had them talk for an hour about bad things that happened uh, to them in their life, in their past. That that just shows you kind of a perspective of how people were approaching depression. One was, but but the, actually, the, then they would probably prescribe them drugs that would make them addicted, have an addictive nature, that have all kinds of side effects that make them, you know, the Z drugs, turn them sometimes into zombies to some degree. Certainly causes them to feel like they have taken control instead of giving control over to God. And uh, they they are not dealing with the real source of the problem, which was not spontaneous, was the fact that your life seemed meaningless or at least lacked a meaning. And it was, things became a chore and drudgerous. Why? Because you were missing some very important aspects of a gregarious creature. You weren't caring about others as much as you were caring about yourself. You weren't actively pursuing love. Almost everybody I know that is having trouble with depression that decidedly are missing the characteristic of caring about and for others. Now, if you want to enter into a relationship, like uh, if you're a boy and you want a girlfriend or a girl and you want a boyfriend and you want them to care about you so that you can care about them, that is not the cure. You you have to really think a different way. If you're already on depressants or taking these drugs 
I would recommend you get into a congregation. I re- recommend that you get onto our network and uh, start forming these congregations. And we'll be talking more and more about because everybody, and we talked about this in the study call on Tuesday, everyone in a congregation is a minister within that congregation. You are supposed to love one another. You're not just supposed to get a minister who loves you and then you love the minister, but you're gathering in a congregation to love one another, to care about one another, to help one another carry one another's burdens. And even the ministers need to have an accompanying person who is a minister as well to help them and then those ministers should gather in congregations of 10 and they serve one another by and in that process you begin to create that pattern that is in Christ who came to serve that will have a long term the exercise of that caring one for another will have a long term effect on the chemistry of your body, which will alter your feelings. Fear will dissipate. Anger will dissipate. Judgment will dissipate. Or you will dissipate. You will find a reason to leave. As you get closer and closer to the truth about yourself, where you have to admit that you are, not just admit vocally that you are a sinner, but that you have strayed from the right way. Which is a really important thing. Because if you don't admit that you've gone off the path, what is going to drive you to get on the path? If you don't admit that there are patterns that have gotten into your heart and in your mind that are causing you to go the wrong way, how will you get back? Why would you even seek to get back? You see, there's no way you can repent unless you admit that something's wrong. So if you're going to a church that says you're saved already and you don't have to do anything, you, 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 you know, you're totally saved by the blood of Christ, but your works don't show the blood of Christ in you. They don't show the manifestation of Christ in you. You don't go to serve. You know, one of the things when I entered the, the, the workforce, I'd already gone through a great deal. I'd been to the seminary and I had, made peace with my disgust (laughs) which is just judgment of Catholicism or at least made enough peace I mean it's an ongoing thing and I entered into the workforce I was there to serve I was there to do what the masters wanted when I was an employee and I progressed rapidly and succeeded rapidly and was complimented constantly or and actually not constantly but eventually I would come across I didn't realize how I was so much different than everybody else because they put tasks before me and I had agreed to do the tasks and so I did them but I it wasn't just that I did them I did them with a different kind of heart than many people bring to the job they they come to the job as if it's a job as if it's a burden This is something they have to do in order to get enough money to buy that video game they want. (laughs) And uh, they've, they've destroyed the benefits of working. I never, ever thought about my paycheck while I was working. That I'm doing this to get money to get this or get that. And I know people who go out and they get a job because they will get stuff with the money they get from the job. 
They're not on the job. They're not just doing the job. They're doing it for what they can get out of the job. And so their heart is not really in the job. And you have to change that. It's a different way of thinking. And it takes some reflection. But that reflection is best done in a community. Because you cannot be self-aware enough. You need that community. Because as many as I love, I also rebuke. In that community, by its very nature, it will create contrast. So you can see yourself in the light of your neighbor. We'll talk more about this when we come back. So welcome back. Fear, anger, sadness. These are feelings that we feel inside of us. And they are the result of chemicals released into the body because of signals received by the adrenal glands that are directly putting chemicals into the blood. But what signals went to the adrenals? I mean, the feeling is coming from the the drugs that your body is putting into your blood, but why are they doing that? Why is there this spontaneous imbalance? It's because of something that is going on in your body. Now, there could be lots of things. I mean, you could have a tumor. <laughs> There's something you could be afraid of. You, you could have parasites. You could be, I mean, you could obviously look at the the immediate things. What are you putting into your body? And the reality is you could be putting way too much sugar, way too much carbohydrates, breads. You know, a lot of carbohydrates can cause an imbalance in your body. But the reality is your body should be able to adjust to whatever you're eating. That is, although I'm, I don't, I don't want, if you don't care, well, I can eat anything because my body should be able to fix this so that you, you're feeding your tongue. You're not dressing and keeping the garden of your body. The, the the floor of your own human body, you're not taking care of it. You got the bad attitude. You want you want the feeling that you get from eating this, that, and the other thing. So obviously, if you're eating garbage, you, the, there's something of garbage in your attitude to begin with. You should want to eat what's good for your body. You would want to love your body and yourself as much as you're going to need to love others. But you have to love yourself first. So yeah, you may have to change your diet. But these feelings of fear and anger and sadness, which is depression, are coming about because of an imbalance in the spirit. Not just an imbalance, a chemical imbalance in the body. And that balance in the spirit is because you have sinned. (laughs) There has been trauma in your life. You have been judgmental. You have judged instead of leaving judgment to God. and Or you have been slothful. Instead of being diligent in the pursuit of the kingdom. So anyway, all those spiritual choices of the heart are creating an imbalance in you spiritually, which will create an imbalance in you mentally, which will create an imbalance in you chemically through the adrenal glands. So when you see this depression, 
that's a red flag in your body saying there's something in the spirit I need to deal with. Now, you probably won't be able to see that on your own. You need somebody else. You know, when I go out to check the sheep, I would go out without a flashlight when I used to do it. We didn't have, we have spotlights up now, but I still bring a flashlight. But what I first, before I even walk around the corner, I stop and I listen. I listen to the noises coming from the herd. Because the noises will tell me more. Because I'm used to doing this in the dark without a flashlight. <laughs> and, uh, but I've, I've also done a lot of things without bringing the light with me. You know, I've tra- traveled all across the desert, uh, rocky mountains and everything with no flashlight in the middle of the night in the dark with no moon. <laughs> so what light are you depending on? So the fact is, is if you want to see, you need a spiritual light. To see a spiritual problem. And, you know, I mean, the doctor who's going to prescribe you uh, depressants, he's just going to ask you these nine things listed in the manual. And if five of them show up, he'll say, you have depression, here's a prescription, next. And uh, he gets your 50 or 150 bucks and says, next. And, uh, you know, he's planning on pulling in a couple grand a day. (laughs) So, the reality is you these are spiritual problems, spiritual traumas that are bringing about physical symptoms in your life. Obviously, you should eat better. Uh, but there are other things besides eating better and get, getting exercise properly and getting sleep. These are obvious things. This is just dressing and keeping this body that you have. So we, we remove those items from the equation and you still have a problem of depression or what have you. Let's look a little deeper. And one of the therapies they have that they say is just as as effective as antidepressant medication is what they call cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very interesting. It's a little bit, it's not like putting you in a dark room and asking you questions about your past. Cognitive behavioral therapy is focused on the here and now. That's very kingdom, focused on the here and now. The idea is it seeks to help people change how they think about things. I'm actually quoting their their description of cognitive behavioral therapy. That's what a congregation, that's what Christ is saying. Repent. Think a different way. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is now. It's in the present. It's for the living. It's not for the dead. So this is very kingdom, although it's a very psychiatric term. But they're stumbling on the kingdom when they stumble upon these ideas. There's other things that they use. They talk about St. John's wort is commonly used uh, for treatment of depression. Well, then there's the question of what actually is St. John's wort doing? It's actually because it's something you take in externally. It's it's just improving the symptoms. But it can give you a feeling of uh, power and control. I'm not advocating. I'm advocating seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, they, they advocate adding certain amino acids to, to your metabolism. Uh, one of them is, what do they, uh, they call it? Uh, well, the short name is Sam E. S A M E. All caps S A M and small E. They, they say it works on the relief of depression and, but it's produced internally. And, you know, actually eating some meats and animal foods sometimes can help with that. Those aren't really solutions. Again, those are just dealing with the metabolic symptoms and functions. They have another thing they call light therapy. Uh, and, you know, and it's back to the East Africans that you take them out in the sun. 
feathers, you know, outside in the light because he needs more light. And it's actually the light therapy is is most advantageous to people who are living in northern climes during the middle of winter where there's not much sunlight and stuff. But actually, you know, light can actually cause depression if you're looking at the wrong kind of lights in the middle of the night at your electronic devices. Uh, exercise, tremendous advantage to exercise. But now if you're doing this with the same ambition that brought you to where you're at now without changing your thinking, that's not going to be enough. The only reason that, you know, diet and exercise are good is because they can eliminate obvious things that you're doing that are traumatizing your body physically. But by creating a regiment of of watching what you eat and exercising is giving you that feeling of some self-control in the issue. Uh, massage is another thing that people use that helps really alleviate depression. Acupuncture, although acupuncture doesn't really have a good track record. Uh, massage actually can have to do with, you know, laying on of hands. Somebody physically is caring about you. It's actually will uh, resolve a great deal of stress and everything. But massage, again, that's just to your physical body. Uh, the reality is you want a massage of the heart, a massaging of the spirit. And so every congregation should be understanding that these concepts that they talk about in cognitive behavioral therapy, helping each other with proper diet, helping each other with the laying on of hands. And yeah, we actually, you know, we're very good at massage and understand that. But they also talk about uh, meditation. And meditation is part of that self-reflection. Learning to be still learning to turn off all the other things that are constantly flipping switches in your brain. I mean, if you think about frightening situations, if you think about people that you're angry with, this is causing hormones to be secreted in your body and it's wearing out your adrenals and this is where you get adrenal fatigue. Vitamins in your body, but then that goes back to diet, proper diet. And there's all kinds of different things, but there's all kinds of different people. So there's no one size solution fits all. The point is, is that when you gather together with people who realize that this is part of the therapy of Christ, Christ commanded before he gave anybody loaves and fishes, before he started teaching people how to share, he commanded that they sit down in companies upon companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100 to the tune of 5,000 people. He did this because you need that group. That herd instinct. We have a small herd here. And so we have basically, well, actually with the sheep, you'll see small groups of sheep from seven to ten sheep in a group. But they're all together, they're a herd. But when they're actually out grazing in the general field, there'll be certain ones. And you see this with the cows, if you, if you're observant. You notice how they, they graze, especially in an area where they don't usually go. They, they're, there's a lot of cows around the outside of the herd and they're facing outward as they're grazing. And they're covering everything from different directions. And there are certain cows that are inside that circle. And they're looking certain ways. And when they come up and they start grazing near each other, they they turn their bodies at certain angles to each other. And they're actually giving reassurance to each other in this simple cow. Uh, Most people miss it. They don't even see it. They look out. Oh, it's just a bunch of cows. They don't see that. You don't, you've lost the skill of being in a congregation of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. 
You've lost the connection. If you enter into that connection, just like your body is full of billions and trillions of cells working together every day, but if you're harboring anger and resentment and unforgiveness, fears and anxieties, not only are there chemical hormones being secreted into your blood that is affecting all the processes of your body, And wearing out your adrenals. Because every time you think and remember. So you take a drug so you can't think and remember. I always remember a a young boy who was put on Ritalin. You know, when he goes to school. He says, I I couldn't concentrate on the teacher. It was so boring. And I was watching people get up and sharpen their pencils. And conversations going on in the room. When I went to school, there was no. Nobody was getting up walking around during class. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody was having a conversation other than the, the, the teacher. But evidently in the modern schools, these things go on. But the, the solution isn't the school anyway. But the reality was he says he couldn't focus on the teacher. Uh, when I worked with him, you know, pouring cement uh, on the weekends, <laughs> he was sharp. He remembered everything I said. But I was interesting. I was talking to him about all kinds of things that he had never heard before. And was showing him how it relates to everything in modern day. It was mostly about history. But so he was sharp. But they ended up putting him on Ritalin. And he says, I don't even notice a guy get up and sharpen his pencil anymore. That actually were poisoning part of his brain. That was made him the most effective person that he was. So that and, and to this day, he still has a drug problem. He's not on that drug, but he's on other drugs. Because he hasn't learned to deal with his own body. You have to learn to deal with who you are. So this takes us to self-awareness. And the reason you gather in a group is that group will help you become self-aware. It's your team. It's your dream team. Where you are going to have to confront your problems in order to be a part of the group. In order to care about the rest of your little herd. You're going to have to confront your problems and deal with your problems and step outside of your selfish existence. Not that you're totally selfish, but there is an element of selfishness that has brought you to this place of depression, of sadness, whatever you want to call it. And if you stay in that, it will cycle unless you drug yourself and then it will create another whole set of problems. You need to gather together with others with the intention of being of service to them and you will find it of service to you. So this cognitive behavioral therapy or learning about you in the now is critical. And this is what every congregation should be. And by dressing and keeping the garden of your neighbor, you will dress and keep your own garden. And he will do the same. So Proverbs 9, 8 says, Reprove not a scorner. Lest he hate thee, rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Proverbs 27.5 Open rebuke is better than a secret love. You cannot sit in a congregation with a preacher up there talking for an hour and a half and tell me that you love your neighbor with your what? Your secret love? You're not interacting with one another. You're not there for one another. You're there for what the the feelings that the preacher and his band can give you. You might as well go to a psychiatrist and take drugs because that religion is the opiate of the people. Telling you that you're already saved and there's nothing you have to do. When Christ said, it's not those who say, but those who do. And what was Christ didn't know about salvation? 
Or was he preaching what it is? I mean, John the Baptist. Are you taking care of one another through charity? Paul. Every time he says charity, it's the same word that they use for love. You Secret love doesn't do it. Open rebuke is better than a secret love. You have to care about one another. Now, don't go into a congregation start picking on everybody else's problems. Or I'll, I'll come down there and pick on your problems. <laughs> and you don't want me to have to come down there. <laughs> so, so anyway, but this is what a congregation is all about. It's about caring about one another. It's about helping one another. You got a health issue. Somebody was asking, uh, you know, where can we find a doctor who's in a big pill pusher? And I wrote him back and I says, well, what's the problem? You know, <laughs> talk to us. Share with us. And he's just got to open up. We're here to help. We've, a lot of us have had problems. I've certainly dealt with a lot of people that have had problems. I may know what you need to do. Or maybe give you some ideas that you sitting alone by yourself are not coming up with. This is why you need, you need the herd. You need the congregation of people. This is why Christ commanded that you sit down in that congregation. Does that mean everybody in your congregation is going to be a genius and got the answer to your problem? No. One of the the twelve rules of uh, Jordan Peterson for the ending chaos is to listen to everybody as if they have something to offer. Did you know that a wrong answer can lead you to the truth? They tell you this is the problem, and you listen to it, and you ponder what they have to say, and you listen to why they said it, and you listen to their heart as if you desire to know. That whole action is 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 a mutual prayer. And that prayer will bring the answer. It's not coming from that other guy. It's not coming from the words I'm giving you. It's coming from the Holy Spirit because the problem is spiritual. It's not physical. It's manifested physically. But why in the world would somebody with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, why would they be depressed? They couldn't be depressed. You could nail them to the cross. And they would still be full of forgiveness for those who nailed them. How in the world are you so upset? It's because you need a spiritual awakening. And you need to gather together in order to receive that. You need the bread of Christ. And he commanded that you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands before you would receive the bread and fishes of Christ. Your omega-3s in the fishes. <laughs> so that's what you, you need a spiritual diet and it will bring about the physical diet you need and it will alter your own physical system with a different pattern of Christ so that you could actually eat poisons and not be poisoned. You could be bit by snakes and not be poisoned by the snake. But you need the pattern of Christ dwelling in you. And that you need his breath coming out of you. You need his heart. And his heart was one who came to serve. If you're not in a congregation that is coming together to serve, then how in the world will Christ enter into you? Because you're not even doing what he's commanded to do. Is your congregation your group? Is it your dream team? Is it going to be that secret love or open rebuke? Revelation 3.19, as many, this is, so this is New Testament, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Think differently. That's your your cognitive behavioral therapy, is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And psychiatrists tell you that that's better than antidepressants. And if you are on antidepressants and you want to get off of those antidepressants because you see some of the ill effects, you need to have a group. You need to have other people to help you do that. You need to bring your problems into the light of a community of people so that you can be of help to them. Your courage will give them courage. You know, I I mentioned... You know, uh, I didn't mention it in, in this last program, but there's a, there's an old movie, Captain Courageous. And, uh, it's about a small boy who is totally spoiled, rich kid, and not understanding values. His father can't seem to teach him, doesn't even have the time, and, uh, he falls overboard and gets picked up by a fishing boat with, uh, Spencer Tracy. <laughs> so it's an old movie, it's black and white. But uh, it's a very interesting where the boy has to become aware of his own problems in the light of the character of other people who is not perfect people either. But it took him out of his environment, out of the world in which he lived, and cast him into another world where he had to confront reality. Reality actually confronted him in gangbusters. And... you know, it's it's one of the, it's not an Arlington Road type of deal. There's some tragedy in it, but uh, somebody rises to the occasion. Somebody becomes a better person because they receive the challenge, and it wasn't easy. And so you have to realize that destruction is coming, just like in Noah's Ark's day. But our ark is not made out of oaken boards; it's made of human flesh. It's people coming together and fitting together. And becoming that kingdom of God at hand. That brotherhood of righteousness. That's what you need to do. And you cannot just think about your congregation. You have to think about the congregations that haven't formed yet. So you have to be... Your congregation should not just become, you know, like the Dream Team movie where the guys are all sitting around in a chair and picking at each other's problems. You have to get out there in the world and confront the real problems of the world in a way of righteousness, which means you have to spread the good news. You have to help other people begin to understand, add together as a team, help other people understand that the world is wants to see you dead, the Saul Syndrome. It wants to kill you and then kill itself. It wants to self-destruct. It's on this pattern of self-destruction. of A flood of self-righteousness is coming to drown everyone. And so you need an ark that forms of people that are caring about others more than they care about themselves. So you have to put that that spiritual emotion into action. Where you have to start reaching out and trying to find other people. And I see individuals wanting to do this. But you have to do this together with others. Christ, even with his trained apostles, sent them out two together. Having to work with other people in this process is absolutely essential. Because it takes your mind and your focus off of you. And now, you know, it's, and I've always said this, the tens, hundreds, and thousands is the buddy system times ten. 
Well, you have to care about your neighbor as much as yourself. Well, you have to care about others as well. But you have to do that together. That's the walk in the kingdom. So, that's where we all have to go. And that is the vitamin that we're missing. And until we get that and consume that pill of Christ, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.